0: Hi, everyone, and welcome to episode five of the Conscious Capitalist podcast with myself, Timothy Henry, and my partner in Conscious Capitalism, Raj Shasodia. Hi, Raj. Hi, Timothy. Good to see you again. Last time we spoke about some of the basics of stakeholder orientation, and today we'd like to go a bit deeper with that conversation. Do we really understand our stakeholders? Do we really understand their needs—not what they need from us, but but what are their problems? What are the issues that they face? I was particularly touched working with one company that's in the um, air, airport logistics area, where we brought them together, um, brought their executive team together, and their executive team was looking through the stakeholders and realized that being in the airport logistics, one of their stakeholders were clearly the security groups that they work with in each country. Mm -hmm. Um, And they realized that there was an interesting opportunity for them to host a meeting that had the airport authorities, had some software providers who were providing the the logistics software, a couple of the big um, national security groups that were involved in um, monitoring the security of these airports, and bringing them together and saying, "Hey, you know, how can we uh, solve this problem that we have across the world?" You know, and here we've got two really big airports uh, talking about the issues they've got. They've got the government people talking about the issues they've got. They've got their experience, their people uh, in the room, and they've got the software in the background, sort of saying, "Like, how can we tile these pieces together?" In a meaningful way that everybody can track, um, you know, a item from the time it enters the airport to the time it leaves, and um, you know, they received tremendous benefit out of that idea and bringing those people together, and created tremendous goodwill with the uh, airport authorities around this, uh, which just was really helpful in further marketing to other airport authorities because there was a buzz around them. <laughs> of, like, wow, did you see what they were doing? What This, this forward-thinking approach to solving problems that our stakeholders have in which we are a part of. And if we can solve it, the whole system is better, stronger, in this case, more secure and cheaper to manage. So it was a win-win for multiple people in terms of the safety at the airports, the ability to to, to smooth and, and quicken the pace of logistics so that things moved faster and in a more secure way. it's a
1: great example. And so I think uh, you know, this is not an or but an and, right? So we want to look at each individual stakeholder. It's like a family, right? You want to spend one-on-one time with each kid and understand them deeply. And then you want to think of the family as a system so with each of the stakeholders having, you know, I think deep listening, really empathetic listening and understanding uh, their pain points and so forth, all of which are opportunities for value creation. And the way Chip Connolly talked about it in his book, Peak was he used Maslow's hierarchy of needs with each of his stakeholders, right? He went from basic, you know, survival, et cetera, ultimately. So he, he distilled it down to three. For employees, it was job, career, and calling, mm. right? for investors, it was returns, uh, impact, and legacy. And for, employ- and for customers, you know, they had similar kinds of things. So we can think about each stakeholder, go deep with them, and understand exactly how we can serve them at a deeper level in a, mil- in a win-win way. And yeah. then bring them all together. Uh, once we've done that, I think that should come first, right? the deep listening, understanding, and aligning what we do for them. And then we come together from that place to co-create even at the next level uh, across across stakeholders. So I think that would be a powerful uh, combination of things to do.
0: Well, you know, uh, as you say that, uh, you brought up Chip's example of investors. And I think the elephant in the room in many of the discussions we have is what about the shareholder? Um, because one of the things that we're not doing here is we're not ignoring the shareholder. We, um, we think that the shareholder is an extremely important stakeholder. And Needs to have a seat at the table. Now, the other side of that is um, I know a phrase that you and I have, have talked about in the past. Yeah, you know, you get the investors you work for uh, or you, the investors you deserve. Mm-hmm. So when people say, well, you know, our investors uh, as stakeholders, you know, that they're not in this space, then we start to have this question of alignment. Are the investors aligned? with the purpose and values that we're trying to build our business around. And are we willing to do the work and at times to say no to money Mm -hmm. in order to attract and nurture the right type of investors, the right investors who are looking for long-term sustainable value, who are wanting to be informed about how we're creating shared value, who are looking at this from the perspective of being in a sense patient capital versus the activists. And so uh, I think it's also important to look at your shareholders and start to say, you know, how do we create better communication with our shareholders? How do we make sure that they understand exactly why we're doing these things and bring them along on the journey? And maybe even, dread the thought, invite some of them to participate in some of these uh, stakeholder meetings that we're having so that they can understand um, and have a voice at the table
1: yeah and they have to be part of it but you have to be selective I think it's one of the most critical relationships is who you choose to take money from right because it is a long-term uh, relationship I remember Ron shake gave a very thing mm. and powerful talk about that you know that a lot of a lot of people when they are looking to raise capital whether it's venture capital or other kinds of capital, they'll simply look at how much are they willing to value our company at, right? And they'll go with the maximum valuation without looking at the alignment on other things. Yeah. And that can come back to really hurt you and you can lose control and the company can be taken off in a whole different direction yeah. uh, as a result of that. So really it's a critical dis- uh, decision. And anytime you have a relationship versus transaction, then you become selective mm. Even with customers. You don't just say every customer is the right customer you have customers who align with us on our purpose and values and, and those are the ones we should really focus on and obviously with employees as well our purpose should resonate with their purpose our values should be aligned so that their work indeed goes from being a job to a career to a calling that you know even if they win the lottery on friday they still yeah. show up on Monday because the work has meaning for them beyond the paycheck yeah. so again it mean, selective is very important but yeah the the, the the investor one is especially critical because employees can't uh, hijack and take your company away from you Can mm. customers, but investors can, yeah. and it has many times where founders have lost control yeah. and uh, you know, John Mackey, I think likens it to uh, venture capitalists are like uh, hitchhikers with credit cards, <laughs> right? And as long as you're going in their direction, they'll help pay for the gas. But when you decide you're taking the right fork and they want to go to the left fork, they'll leave you in a ditch and take the car.
0: well i like to think that's more the private equity rather than the venture capital but but you're right there is the but it is it is you know doing your due diligence on where you're getting the money and you know what are their expectations for the long term and and how do you make sure particularly in the time horizons match up Um, Yeah, if
1: they have an exit strategy, I mean, that's, that's a real warning sign. I mean, what is that exit strategy and how is it going to impact this business?
0: Yeah, have that discussion up front. You know, the other last point I'd like to make about some of these particular stakeholders is, you know, a very popular phrase all of a sudden is how resilient is your supply chain? So with COVID, everybody's now suddenly looking and going, well, so how, you know, we're we're suddenly getting this idea, oh, some supply chains are more resilient than others. And it's fascinating because if you look at it through the long-term relational point of view versus the short-term transactional point of view, you start to see a strong correlation between a long-term relational point of view and the resiliency of your supply chain, Um, so when you create deep partnerships with your suppliers, when you are co-creating with them products or co-creating logistics and managing those in a relational point of view, then you're much more likely to be looking to support each other during these difficult times. As I remember um, Kip Kindle from the container store saying, you know, when it comes down to that last palette of the hottest product of the season and the supplier is gonna decide who gets it, it's not always based on the price alone. <laughs> and I think we're seeing that with resilience.
1: It is, and I think part of it is also, it's a, it's a tricky balance between having a strong relationship and exclusive suppliers and, and, and actually having uh, uh, multiple suppliers that are able to, uh, to meet those needs right? So having multiple relationships, not just a uni- single relationship in each of those areas, I think is also important, just from yeah. a resilience standpoint.
0: Yeah, I think like, like L'Oreal has taken a very strong approach with some of its suppliers um, as a reaction to, to, to COVID. I mean, they have, with their smaller suppliers, they have said, listen, we're going to make almost immediate payments to you, because we mm-hmm. recognize that you're in a financially difficult situation and so we're going to rather than extend our terms like some companies are so we're going to preserve cash we're going to extend our terms. for their smaller more vulnerable suppliers they've they've said hey listen how do we uh, help you with your cash position mm-hmm. we can do that by paying you faster uh, than we have in the past so in a sense counterintuitive at one level on the other hand by keeping a thriving set of smaller suppliers on the comeback they'll be in a in a much healthier position um, i also really
1: illustrate what it means to think about them as stakeholders and not just as suppliers right so their well-being matters to you yes uh, inherently and of course it's going to help your business if they're they're thriving as well
0: my favorite story in this space my favorite current story is actually with a company called the body shop Uh, And the body shop, obviously, was very um, uh, iconic with Anita Roderick when it started in the 90s, maybe one of the first conscious capitalist companies that came out of the closet, so to speak. Mm -hmm. Um, But recently purchased by Natura, and um, they've really revived it as a company with purpose. And one of the big initiatives they've had is with their suppliers in Ghana of shea butter. Mm -hmm. So they've got an initiative to help women farmers and collectives form collectives and get better at uh, the collecting and distribution logistics behind the shea butter that they produce and getting it into the products that um, the body shop uses. Mm -hmm. And they've launched a campaign in their stores where you go in and you see big pictures of these women working on the farms and you see the product that this goes into and in a sense, they've connected their suppliers with their customers who now have a story about when I buy this shea butter, I'm actually helping to support these women collectives in Ghana make a, you know, a living wage. And by creating this sense of shared value and taking a shareholder point of view, stakeholder point of view, you've actually created more value for the business as customers become more loyal to your brand, um, and you've got a pretty cool product.
1: Now that, that reminds me of this uh, the basic idea is to create more connective tissue across your stakeholders and to get them to actually know each other. Because usually they only interact with the company and the company interacts with each of them separately. But like Whole Foods would have uh, farmers markets in their uh, parking lot Right? The same farmers who supplied the store you know, once a week or with some frequency would actually directly deal with the customers and Whole Foods would not even be part of that, but it's creating that link. The next time I go into the store and I see the name of that particular farmer, I remember that. So I think all of that works to create the sense of oneness uh, across stakeholders, which ultimately then benefits everybody, including the companies. I'm reminded of the classic story of Whole Foods when they were just two years old. Uh, and uh, they had that flood in, uh, in Austin, Texas, and essentially destroyed the company. They only had one store, and all the inventory was destroyed. All the equipment was destroyed. Uh, they, had, they had borrowed already maxed out their credit line, and they owed a bunch of money to their suppliers. So they were bankrupt. They were $400,000 in the red that morning, and essentially they thought they would have to shut down and uh, and the customers uh, the employees were standing around and some of them were crying because this was the end of the best job they'd had ever had and the next thing they saw some of their customers are showing up the community members are showing up and others and they're carrying you know, buckets and mops and uh, you know they said come on guys let's clean it up let's let's get this thing you know fixed up and uh, and and operational again and they said you know we don't know if we can do that i said let's just try
0: yeah so they
1: yeah. did that and the employees started working to clean the place up and And eventually the suppliers came around and they said, wow, there's something special going on here. So we're gonna restock you on credit and we'll write off some of this inventory loss. And the bankers came and doubled their credit line even though they didn't really warrant it on a financial basis. And the friends and family who had invested, decided to reinvest what they had invested before. Uh, And and people were setting up uh, uh, bake sales and music concerts to raise money for Whole Foods. So were it not for their stakeholders, that company would have died in the crib, essentially. It was an infant. Uh, But because of that, the way they had treated all of those stakeholders and the relationships they had built, those stakeholders rallied around and kept them alive so that today they can be a $16 billion uh, company. Mm. And it instilled in them a deep sense of gratitude towards their stakeholders to say, we need to be worthy of this love that was shown to us. And so it really embedded that, that orientation into the company in a deeper way. I think that's not all companies have to go through that to recognize the importance of stakeholders.
0: Well, I think that's the other. Uh, there's two other points and then probably wrap it up. The, the last point is the one you have just brought up, which is bake it into the DNA of the company. It's not just enough that the executives at the top are trying to figure out how our stakeholder strategy plays out. It's really bringing the notion of stakeholders throughout the whole company. And, you know, we talk about Whole Foods a lot. And one of the things they do a great job of is in their leadership development program of asking each leader, who are your stakeholders? You know, Mm -hmm. so that people begin to have a tangible sense of the company has stakeholders. I have stakeholders. Who are my stakeholders? Do I understand their needs? Am I thinking win-win with them? And you get into the whole training that goes with appreciative inquiry, that goes with the the Bill Uri, getting to yes um, with yourself and then with others in creating a win-win mentality. How do you really look for that win-win? And then I think the final point is that critical to all of this is getting your board to understand the value and the approach you're taking with stakeholders um, and or the board to be asking about it. And that's where the ESG piece becomes quite interesting because as the pressure comes for investors to be reporting on ESG, it's at least forcing the board members to ask the executive team, what are we doing in this thing called stakeholders? (laughs) And, And that's the opportunity for the executive team then to start to to talk about how they are creating a a business strategy aligned with their purpose and their stakeholder approach to create this long-term sustainable value. And then the final piece of that, of course, becomes, if that's true, how is the board starting to bake that into the compensation system? Because I think in the end, if the compensation system is only focused on the financial returns, then that's what you will get. And as we, as we we know, uh, companies that have a broader point of view and care about their people and their customers and their suppliers. If you start to build those into the comp system, then you start to see different behavior. And ultimately, this becomes part of the fabric of how the business operates.
1: Right. So there has to be full alignment between everything that you do, what you say, what your policies are, how you hire, how you develop, how you uh, compensate, how you incentivize. All of that has to be aligned. You know, I'm reminded when you talked about the board of uh, at Amazon has a practice, which a lot of people have heard about, they have an empty chair in every meeting, mm. so not just board meetings, but all meetings. And that chair represents the customer. Yeah. And if meeting ends, you better talk about what does this mean for the customer? Uh, and that's enabled them to become perhaps the most customer centric company in the world by many measures. Uh, but it also points to sort of an imbalance. Mm. What about a chair for the employees, right? What about a chair for the community or mm. anybody else that really matters? And, and so it says that we need an ongoing way to make sure that the stakeholder perspective is present in all deliberations. Yeah. And and that maybe that there's like a stakeholder council. Yeah. So we don't just wait for a future search every five years. But on an yeah. ongoing basis, we've got a sounding board to say, how does this land? Yeah. So, with different stakeholders and that can be an advisory board or an advisory group yeah. uh, to the company uh, alongside the other, you know, the actual board of directors.
0: Well, I love that idea because I think it also plays into this whole ESG movement. I, I, would, I would think that we've got, we've got a, a, nom- a governance committee, we have an audit committee, at some point we're going to have an ESG committee. <laughs> that is actually looking at all the stakeholders and, and how are we doing across these things because if we're going to be reporting it to our investors and it's integrated into our strategy and into our culture we have to have the board really pay attention and focus to this in some kind of real meaningful way love it raj thank you so much for your time and attention today and thank you all for listening um If you have any thoughts or comments about today's session, please go to theconsciouscapitalists.com and uh, send us your feedback. And of course, on whatever platform you're listening to, please subscribe. All right, be well.